Good morning, Los Angeles, and welcome to another edition of the Weekend Warrior Show. I'm your host, Dr. Robert Clapper. I'm an orthopedic surgeon at Cedars-Sinai for 31 years, 500 surgeries a year, 31 years, do the math, 15,000 shoulders, knees, hips, ankles, Achilles tendons. Uh, it's been an an amazing journey, and it keeps going. And 10 years ago, in February 2011, it's going to be 10 years, the end of February, Steve Pled and I have been doing this show. What a joy it is to know each and every Saturday I get to talk to you guys and give you some clapper vision, explain your injury. The number is 877-710-ESPN. Before we get started, we certainly have to recognize the loss of the great Tommy Lasorda. And what he represented to all of us was a joy in life. He was a dreamer. He was a motivator. He was a great manager because he could take people like Earl, Hersher, Earl Hersheiser, who he felt was a great pitcher, but too scared. He said, you pitch like a scared dog. So from now on, I'm going to call you Bulldog. And Oral Hershey is the first one to admit he hated the name, but it sure did motivate him to become Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde on the mound. He became that bulldog. Tommy Lasorda, not a great career as a pitcher himself, but a Hall of Fame career as a manager, tenacious. And today's topic is all about visionaries. Tommy Lasorda was a visionary. And all of us have to be visionaries with our own lives. But get ready. Here's the rule of life, the law of nature. If you've got a vision, there's going to be roadblocks. There's going to be obstacles. Nobody's rooting for you. Nobody's looking for you to succeed. It's how you deal with the roadblock that is about to happen with your vision is what's fascinating to me. And you know how much I love the world of sports, the world of art, the world of surgery. I'm going to take you through classic stories of a visionary and how they dealt with the roadblock. In the case of Dr. Jerry Buss, he saw the roadblock and went right through it with his vision. In the art world, the director, Francis Ford Coppola, who made The Godfather, he had a major roadblock in making that movie. Many people consider one of the greatest movies of all time. But the way he dealt with a roadblock to his vision was to go around the roadblock. And you're going to hear from him exactly how he did that. I'm so excited. My guest at 815 calling in is the great Ben Lyons, because I want to talk about the movie business, the sports business, and how they connect. And he's a true renaissance man. Clapper Vision is going to be Andrew Whitworth. He tore his medial collateral ligament and his posterior cruciate ligament. Two of the four ligaments that are in our knees, he tore in week 10. That's seven weeks ago. And he's going to be playing again. Because without surgery, those ligaments go on to heal. It's not like an anterior cruciate ligament, which won't. The medial collateral ligament is outside the knee joint, just underneath your skin. 
So it can heal with a brace. It does not need surgery. Clapprovision is going to be about a bicycle and a kickstand. And a little later on, we'll get into the Clapprovision for you, the weekend warrior, and Andrew Whitworth, and why the ligaments in your knee are like the kickstand on a bicycle. But let's get right into today's show. Beautiful sound bites of Jeannie Buss talking about her dad. Two examples we're going to hear where Dr. Buss's vision had roadblocks. One was certainly in dealing with Magic Johnson as a rookie. And two, when he decides to start his own cable channel. Two roadblocks. But he was such a visionary, he powered on. So let's just whet our appetite of the beautiful days of Magic Johnson coming to the Lakers and the call of the baby skyhook by Chick Hearn. Let's go to number one. Cooper takes the ball out of bounds, baseline. Kareem and Worthy to the left. Worthy comes to the right. To the left goes Magic. He's got it. He didn't shoot it. Five seconds left. Magic down the middle. Just what I thought. A hook shot at 12. Good! Two seconds left. The Lakers take the lead on Magic Johnson's running skyhook. Seconds now, 107 106. Ladies and gentlemen, one of the most exciting games we've ever had the privilege of broadcasting. We hope that we've done justice to it for you. One of these teams. And Chick Hearn, with his words I view, is beautifully showing you the visual with words of Magic Johnson. But here's the point Dr. Buss saw that visual before it ever happened in front of our eyes. He was a true visionary, and it almost did not continue. Let's listen to the great Jeannie Buss talk about 1979. Dr. Buss, uh, he's a rookie owner. He just bought the Lakers, and now he goes after his rookie, Magic Johnson. But Jeannie Buss is about to tell you when she meets Magic Johnson for the first time, she's a teenager also. She's 17. He's 19. He says to her, I'm just going to be coming here for three years, and then I'm going to go play for Detroit. What? Let's listen to Jeannie Buss talk about her dad, the visionary. Number two. In 1979, um, you know, my dad was excited about the idea that not only would he be buying the Lakers, but also the LA Kings hockey team and the forum where they played. And he said, imagine being able to go to any concert that you want to go to and sitting in the front row because you own the building where they're playing. And that's exactly what he did. The very first night, the, the day of the press conference, he made sure he got a key because he wanted to be able to go into it anytime he wanted. And he took a chair and sat at center court just in, and just took it all in. She uses the term imagine. She uses the term took it all in. But sitting in an empty arena that you now own and looking at the empty stands and the empty benches, he's visualizing the entire story of his ownership of the Lakers before it even happens. This is where the vision starts to come to fruition in his mind. Number three. Again, I think that that's why the fans 
believed in him so much because he did exactly what you would do if you were a fan and the next day you woke up and you actually owned the team. It's hard for me to believe that I own the Lakers. This is a dream come true. I mean, you know, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar is a, really a big hero of mine. He's seeing the future before it happens. And now the draft comes. It's not this pomp and circumstance like it is now. We're going back to 1979. No one's really watching basketball like it is now. It's on after the 11 o'clock news, the championship in those days. But Dr. Buss knows he's going to make his vision happen and drafts Magic Johnson. Number one, here's Larry O'Brien talking about the NBA draft in 1979. Number four. The Los Angeles Lakers select Urban Magic Johnson, Michigan State. It's hard to imagine what the draft was like now with so much media coverage, but, you know, they, they weren't all in New York waiting to get drafted. You know, they drafted Magic Johnson and they flew him out to Los Angeles, so it was going to be the first time that my dad ever met him. Exactly right. So here's where the first roadblock to the vision that Dr. Buss has, the genie Buss cannot believe she's hearing the words coming out of Magic Johnson's mouth. Number five. He uh, came to our house. He rang the doorbell. I had the honor of opening the door. And here was this kid with this smile that just blew you away. So I uh, escorted him and Bill Sharman into the house and asked them if they'd like something to drink, made some small talk. And Magic said, you know, I'm really happy that I was drafted by the Lakers and I'm going to play here for three years, and then I'm going to go play for the Detroit Pistons because that's where I'm from. Like, my like, eyeballs blew out of my head. I couldn't believe what he said. Roadblock number one. This can't happen. My dad's vision's going to blow up. But not to Dr. Buss. That vision sitting in that foldable chair in the middle of the court in the middle of the night, looking around, imagining exactly what the future is going to be. She's telling him, are you kidding? He's leaving after three years. Listen to what happens next. Number six. And, um, you know, and you, you got to imagine, I was 17 and Magic's 19. I mean, we're very close in age. He's just another teenager to me. And, um, but he had this command and this vision of exactly who he was and what he you know what he loved doing and i <laughs> wait enough wait this isn't the plan so i ran upstairs to talk to my dad and say you know he just told me that he's going to play for three years and then he's going to leave dr bus the visionary he knows the roadblocks coming it's going to be more than one but his technique, different than Francis Ford Coppola, who goes around obstacles, which you'll hear next. Dr. Buss' technique is, I'm going right through the roadblock. Listen to what he tells Jeannie Buss, who can't believe this is all going to blow up. Number seven. And my dad didn't miss a beat, didn't even stop what he was doing. He said, you know, as soon as he puts on a Laker uniform and walks out on that floor, He's never going to leave. 
And that's exactly what's happened because, you know, magic could be the mayor of Los Angeles. He could be the governor of California. That's how much the state loves him. And that's how much he loves this town. My dad knew he was the ultimate matchmaker. And uh, they really were, I think, the most special relationship between an owner and a player that's ever been and probably ever will be. Here's another roadblock you're about to hear in the dream that Dr. Bus has for the Lakers. The other team says, listen, you got home games. You can't broadcast because you won't have the fans come to the games if it's going to be on television. Dr. Bus saw it in a completely different way, in an opposite way. Listen to Jeannie Buss talk about his second roadblock, number eight. I learned a lot, for example, when my dad was selling out the forum. And back in those days, the rule was that you never put your home games on television. And, you know, my dad talked about starting a channel that would show all the, the games, all the home games. And I was panicked because I said, well, if, if we do that, then no one's ever going to come watch the team play. It's too easy to stay home and watch it. She was not the only one who felt that way. They all did. But that's what made him a visionary. He saw things that other people didn't see. Here's his explanation for powering through the second roadblock, number nine. And he said, no, you have to think of it, Jeannie, as instead of, of competing, we're actually just increasing the size of the forum because not everybody who wants to see the game can fit into the forum. And we have to expand that. And, you know, it was that kind of thinking that, and, and for me to, to um, experience it, that certainly has helped me as a, an executive today. And now I want you to hear from two of the greatest Lakers who played for Dr. Buss in both players in their own way use the same word visionary first you're going to hear from kobe bryant 2013 dr bus passes away and i remember kobe addressing the laker fandom at that game i was sitting there talking about dr bus what he meant to him what he meant to all of us because he was this visionary number 10. on monday we lost what we all know to be the greatest owner in sports ever. He was a brilliant and incredible owner, but he was even a better person with a great heart. His vision has transcended the game, and we are all, all spoiled by his vision and by his drive to win year after year after year. Every roadblock, he's going through it with his vision and making it into a reality. Now you're going to hear from Magic Johnson at Dr. Buss's funeral. Listen carefully when he also will use the word vision. Number 11. I needed a father figure moving all the way here from Lansing, Michigan, not knowing anybody. Dr. Buss became that father figure. 
he would ask me to go have lunch with him after our practices in Palm Springs. And we would just sit and talk about what his vision was for the organization. Vision for the organization, the great Magic Johnson. What about the world of art? As we think about the great life of Tommy Lasorda and what he meant to us, a proud Italian-American. One of his favorite movies was The Graduate. Let's listen to Marlon Brando, Francis Ford Coppola, and another visionary, but this time in the art world. But wait till you hear about the roadblock when Francis Ford Coppola is told by Bob Evans of Paramount, over my dead body, you're not having Marlon Brando. The vision is about to blow up, but you're going to hear how a visionary in the art world doesn't go through the roadblock. He goes around the roadblock. Coming up next, we'll get into the world of visionaries and obstacles, making it happen, making that vision happen. You're listening to the one and only Weekend Warrior Show here on 710 ESPN. I can see clearly now the rain is gone I can see all obstacles in my way Gone are the dark clouds that had me blind It's gonna be a bright, 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 sunshiny day what a beautiful song. Oh, Steve Paulette, you're amazing. The great Johnny Nash. I can see clearly now. All the obstacles are gone. They're not gone. It's just either you're going to power through them or go around them. This week, God was I busy. It is raining anterior cruciate ligament tears. But because the gyms are closed and you can't play in the playgrounds, I'm not seeing the ACL tears due to basketball. And I'm not seeing it due to soccer like I usually do. Guess where these people are coming from? I guess the ski slopes are still open. I saw four torn ligaments this, this week alone. Two of them were from skiing, but you know where the other two cases came from? Karate, Taekwondo, martial arts. To me, it's the most underrated aspect of knee injuries that I see. And I see a lot of hip problems as well in martial arts. That high torque, when I took care of Chuck Norris many years ago, Dr. Clapper, when can I go back and do a roundhouse kick, he asked me. I'm thinking to myself, what the hell's a roundhouse kick? You got to give it time, you'll heal, you'll do great. What a lovely man he is, Chuck Norris. But martial arts, planting that foot and rotating around it, high torque, I see a ton of injuries. So be careful for those of you weekend warriors who do martial arts. Otherwise, you're going to end up in my office. And as much as I love what I do, the whole point of this show is to try to keep you out of my office. And don't forget, we need to talk about food. I discovered a clapper version of the greatest French baguette, but I clapperized it. 
in a way. I didn't put butter on this crunchy, chewy, inside baguette. I put cream cheese. I'm Jewish. I'm from New York. We put cream cheese on things. Philadelphia cream cheese. And that French raspberry jam. I think it's called Mom Maison or whatever. You can get it in any of the supermarkets. Cream cheese and that raspberry jelly. But to put it on a baguette where you break it with your hand. You don't use a knife. You, you crunch the outside and rip it open. And then you lay in that cream cheese and raspberry jelly. You take a bite. You can hear that crunch all the way to Pacoima. Wherever that is, I got to tell you where my favorite crunchy French baguette is that I discovered this week, and it's here in L.A. My mouth is watering already. I can't even speak. But let's get into visionaries and getting around the obstacle. Top five movie of all time for me is The Graduate. The success of that movie is the storytelling. But the actors had to bring that story to life. And when Francis Ford Coppola read Mario Puzo's book and said, I'm making a movie out of this, the first thing he said to Paramount Studios, Bob Evans, the president, I need Marlon Brando. Bob Evans says, that troublemaker over my dead body. You may have a vision, Francis, but it ain't going to be with Marlon Brando. Let's listen to the opening scene so you can hear just wet your appetite, just like hearing Magic Johnson do that baby skyhook and Chick Hearn broadcasting it to wet your appetite for the visionary that Dr. Buss was. Let's hear Marlon Brando as Vito Corleone, the godfather, in that opening scene. Number one. Now you come to me and you say, Don Corleone, give me justice. But you don't ask with respect. You don't offer friendship. You don't even think to call me Godfather. Instead, you come into my house on the day my daughter's to be married and you ask me to do murder, money. They ask you for justice. That is not justice. Your daughter is still alive. That is not justice, young man. But I'll take care of it because I'm the Godfather. Francis Ford Coppola knew his vision. He could see the whole movie before it was even made. But it had to have Marlon Brando. Who else could talk like that, pull it off like that? 1972, Francis won an Oscar, and so did Marlon Brando. But how did he make it happen? That obstacle that was thrown in to interrupt his vision. Number two. Godfather casting, especially for the character of Vito Corleone, was difficult because he was meant to be an older, really Italian-American person because the story was set in New York. And it's hard to find a 60-year-old newcomer who hasn't already distinguished himself. And so when we looked at the various actors who could play the part, there, there really weren't any that we felt had the charisma or the mystery that could do it. Number three. So I concluded, who are the two greatest actors in the world, or the three greatest actors in the world, who are vaguely the age to, to play it? And we concluded, well, there was Laurence Olivier, and there was Marlon Brando. 
Laurence Olivier was British with a British accent and was actually quite ill. Marlon Brando was only 47, but Marlon Brando had another problem. And here's the obstacle. Get ready to hear what Francis Ford Coppola was told by Bob Evans, the president of Paramount Studios. Your vision, buddy, ain't gonna happen. I'm the boss and you're not gonna use Marlon Brando. Number four was um, considered very troublesome, and his last few pictures had been big flops. Uh, it was a film called Cuemada. It had done terribly, and the executive said, if you put Marlon Brando in The Godfather, it would be, it would be do less business than if you put a totally nobody in it. The president of Paramount told me in these words, he says, Francis, as president of Paramount Pictures, I am telling you that Marlon Brando will not be in this movie. So what are you going to do if you're a visionary and someone's now told you it ain't going to happen? Magic Johnson says, I'm leaving after three years. What do you do? This is what Francis Ford Coppola did. Number five. Well, at that point, I just, I remember I just fell off the chair and lay on the rug and say, well, if I can't even pursue the few ideas I have, you know, what, what do you expect of me? So they said, all right, we'll, we'll give you three conditions for Brando to be in the picture. Number one, he must do a screen test. Number two, he must put up a million dollar bond that none of his behavior problems will cause uh, delays on the production. And number three, he must do the film for nothing. Marlon Brando ain't doing a screen test. He's not putting, a, putting up a bond, and he's certainly not going to do the money for free. So they basically said, listen, Mr. Visionary, you want Marlon Brando? Here's three impossible things for Marlon Brando. If you can make the impossible happen, okay, then you can have Marlon Brando. But they knew it wasn't going to happen. But to Francis Ford Coppola, he said, all right, I'm going to make the impossible happen because you told me that's a green light for me. Crazy. Number six. So I listened to these three conditions and I said, I said, okay, <laughs> because now they had said maybe Marlon Brando could be in the picture if I met these three conditions, how stupid they may be. I called up the house uh, that I was given to, to speak to Marlon Brando, and I didn't know him, and I was very, very respectful of him, of course, because of his great, great past work. Number seven. And I said, basically, Mr. Brando, this character is an Italian. Maybe you'd like to experiment a little to see if you can play. Yeah, you're right. Maybe, maybe we can uh, see how I would do it. He didn't know he was doing a screen test. He just was experimenting. I said, we have to be like ninjas. We have to go to Mr. Brando's house. Don't make any noise. And we'll just sort of photograph him experimenting to be an Italian. Mm, next. So we went, we arrived very early in the morning and no one said a word. I had brought little dishes of Italian cheese, little Italian cigars, little pepperoncini or little sausages, little things I just put around in, in his house. Didn't say a word about it. And he came out, he had long blonde hair. He was very, you know, he was, as I said, only 47. He was quite a handsome young man. And as he came out, he, in a beautiful Japanese robe, I remember. He came out and he... Number nine. He came out and he 
took his long hair and he kind of put it up behind his head and pinned it in and he got some shoe polish and he started to make it black and kind of do that. And then he put a white shirt on and I remember he took the white shirt and he was taking his collar, interesting about little seeds of a character, and he started to bend the end of the collar and he said, oh, those Italian guys, the collar is always bent. And, and he even said, oh, maybe his voice should be very hoarse because he shot in the story in the throat. And here, here's where you're gonna start to see that obstacle he's still being told no even though he's tricking marlon brando into doing what ultimately is the screen test but you're going to hear how he gets around the obstacle next he's talking like this like that not saying anything and meanwhile we were photographing this so he reached down and took a little of the cheese and nibbled and he took the little cigar and he didn't light it, but he kept going. He even took some Kleenex and he put it into his mouth and said, uh, you know, and he, he said, those guys look like bulldogs. And it was a miracle because the character was growing out of this. But he didn't take the tape to the guy who was going to shoot it down. All that work for nothing. The obstacle to his vision. Francis Ford Coppola. Not like Jerry Buss powering through the obstacle, the roadblock. Listen to how he goes around the roadblock. Number 11. I took this tape and I didn't know what to do with it. So rather than show it to the president of Paramount Pictures, I decided to go to New York and, 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 and show it to the chairman and the owner of Paramount, who was named Charlie Bluthorn, who was an interesting person. You should read about him. And he had a company called Gulf and Western. It was the first conglomerate. And one of the companies he owned was Paramount. I'm going to make him an offer again with you. Number 12. So I went to his office in New York and I set up this tape in a conference room right outside uh, where Mr. Bluthorn's office was and I knocked on the door. Charlie Bluthorn comes out and he recognized me. Oh, Francis, what can I do? I said, well, look at this. And I turned on the tape recorder and there is Marlon Brando with this long blonde hair rolling it up. And Charlie Bluthorn said, no, no, absolutely not. Marlon Brando, ah. And as he watched and saw this transformation, he said, that's incredible, that's incredible. And finally, number 13. And as of that moment, I knew that I had Brando in the part. And of course, they didn't make him do a bond for his behavior and they didn't pay him very much. But in fact, uh, he got the part. And of course, Brando uh, uh, to this day is thought of for that role. That's how you get around the roadblock. That's how he did it and made an Academy Award worthy film and who many people like myself consider one of the greatest of all time, a visionary. But if you got a vision for your own life, there's gonna be obstacles. I'm telling you right now, don't give up. Either power through it or get around it. Coming up next, we're gonna do some clap revision. We'll open the clinic. The number is 877 710 
ESPN, we're going to talk about Andrew Whitworth. How could he tear his medial collateral ligament, no surgery, and be ready to play tomorrow, today? How's that possible? What is a torn medial collateral ligament? You need some clap revision. For the warrior, Andrew Whitworth, and for you, the weekend warrior. You're listening to the one and only Weekend Warrior Show here on 710 ESPN. Miss an interview or Doc's weekly story? Check it out on the Weekend Warrior Facebook page. Also, Doc's advice to callers on their aches and pains. Just type Weekend Warrior in the Facebook search bar and you'll see Doc's picture in the listings. And thanks for checking out the Weekend Warrior Facebook page. What's the best medicine besides chicken soup, <laughs> vitamin C, <laughs> green tea, <laughs> prunes, uh, yeah. shot whiskey? <laughs> Not around here. What's the best medicine? I cannot wait. We call it clafter. <laughs> Why does the doctor need that little office for anyway? You know, his books, little stupid aquarium there. I guess he doesn't want people to see him looking stuff up. What the hell was that? <laughs> Jesus Christ. That was kind of gross. That wasn't the tube or the circle. Clafter. Hey, what's up? It's LZ. Look, you know there's no better way to start your Saturday than with Dr. Clapper and the Weekend Warrior Show. 7 and 9 a.m. Saturday mornings. What's going on, L.A.? This is Kobe Bryant. Oh, my God. Start your weekend off right. Listening to the Weekend Warrior Show with Dr. Clapper. The Wafogato. Every Saturday morning from 7 to 9 a.m. on ESPN. 710, home of your Los Angeles Lakers. On a clear day, rise and look around you, and you'll see who, just who you are. On a clear day, that's Frankie Sinatra. On a clear you gotta have vision. Tommy Lasorda had a vision for what the Dodgers could be, for what he could be with the Dodgers. Yes, he was a pitcher for the Dodgers, and not a very good pitcher. But he was a phenomenal manager, because he was a pitcher. Plenty of obstacles in his life. And Tommy Lasorda used humor to pound right through them. Tommy Lasorda was not getting around obstacles. He was like Dr. Buss. He was going to power right through them. Francis Ford Coppola, different. He was not confrontational, Francis Ford Coppola, with this movie and getting Marlon Brando. He knew he'd have his, his vision would be destroyed. But he was clever enough to go around. You're going to have obstacles if you have a vision. Let's open the clinic. The number is 877-710-ESPN. Andrew Whitworth, there's four ligaments that support our knee. Big toe side is called medial. That's the medial side of your knee. The little toe side of your knee is called lateral. There are thick canvas-like structures called ligaments that are bolted into the femur bone, the thigh bone, and the shin bone, the tibia bone. 
That's the medial clara ligament. It lives right under the skin. If you're driving right now or you're sitting right now, go ahead and feel your knee. Feel your kneecap. Now swing your hand over to the medial side. You can almost feel your medial clara ligament right underneath the skin. Now swing your fingers and go to the little toe side of your knee, past your kneecap. Get on the lateral side. Here it's interesting. Yes, the lateral clara ligament attaches to the femur just underneath your skin and you can feel it. But here's the genius of whoever designed our body. Unlike the medial side, the big toe side, where that ligament that crosses the, the knee joint to give it stability, on the medial side, it, it attaches to the tibia, the shin bone, but not the lateral collateral ligament. It actually attaches to that small little bone on the side called the fibula. It does not bolt itself to the tibia. Why would you do that? It's because the rotation that allows you to rotate your foot out and in so that you can walk on uneven surfaces, so that you can land from a jump and have a little bit of rotation in that lower leg. It's because the anchoring ligament attaches to the fibula, not the tibia. It allows for that rotation. Those are two of the four ligaments. And these two live underneath the skin. The other two live inside your knee joint itself. And they are, here's a clapper vision, they look like shoelaces. Clapper vision. You know the shoelaces on your sneakers, how they cross? That's how the anterior and posterior cruciate ligaments inside your knee look. They look like shoelaces that are crossing. Because when you cross, you give rotational stability to the knee joint. But here's the problem, and here's another clapper vision. If you cut your hand on a piece of glass or a knife, your forearm, and it's bleeding, let it bleed, you know what happens. The bleeding stops because the blood clots. It goes from apple juice to chocolate pudding. That's what the clot looks like. And it forms a scab, and it goes on to heal. You could put a Band-Aid over the cut, but the clot becomes a scab, and that wound, that laceration, that cut of your skin will go on to heal on its own, exposed to the air. But if you cut yourself on a, your forearm, on a piece of glass, on a sharp piece of furniture, and you now dive into a swimming pool, you can't put a Band-Aid on your forearm underneath the water in the swimming pool. There's no air down there that it's exposed to, forming a scab, forming the clot is extremely difficult. And it's certainly not gonna happen like it does if it's outside of the swimming pool with air exposed. Well, the motor oil, the fluid called synovial fluid that lubricates the joint that allows our knee to bend and straighten with less friction than two ice cubes rubbing together. Those ligaments are swimming in liquid, the synovial fluid. And in that fluid are chemicals that actually block us from making a clot. We're not gonna be seeing clot 
and a scab form when you tear your anterior cruciate ligament. And that's why that ligament needs an operation when it tears. But because the medial collateral ligament and the lateral collateral ligament are just underneath the skin, they're like cutting your forearm outside of the pool. Leave it alone. Put, your, put someone in a brace like we did with Andrew Whitworth. It'll go on to heal on its own. And it did. And that's why we're going to see him playing today, getting us further into the playoffs. So it's interesting about why this works. Now, here's the other thing I want you, here's the other clapper vision. What exactly is a ligament? This beautiful description I've just given you, what is it? This is one of my favorite clapper visions. Our joints, whether it's your ankle, your knee, you name it, is where movement occurs. So there's an, an, an innate instability, it's loose. You need looseness for movement of the joint. But it can't be so loose that the joint dislocates. It's the same thing for a bicycle, a two-wheeler. If you take a two-wheel bicycle to keep it from falling over, you've got to hold the handlebar and you've got to hold the seat as you stand next to it. Otherwise, it's going to tip over. But what else can you do to that bicycle to keep it from tipping over? You can drill into the bicycle two beautiful holes and you can bolt into the bicycle a kickstand. Now you can take a couple of bolts, the kickstand, and attach it actually to the bike, elegantly step on the kickstand, and guess what? You don't have to hold the handlebar or the seat. The bicycle will not tip over. You've created a stability for that two-wheeler that only knows to tip over. It ain't going to tip over anymore. You bolted the kickstand into the bike itself. That's what a ligament is. We drill, not we, whoever created our body, and attached to the bicycle, to the bone itself, a kickstand that gives stability to that mobile joint, that unstable bicycle, that unstable knee joint, has a kickstand bolted into it. That's the ligament attached to the bone. What Andrew Whitworth did was actually loosen the bolts. It didn't make the, the kickstand disappear. It's still there. But the bolts themselves are loosened. When he was tackled and his knee went in the wrong direction, you yanked on those bolts and you loosened that attachment of the kickstand to the bike. But when you wear a brace for six weeks, bleeding and a scab and scar starts to form, it's as though the body will be tightening the bolts yet again, tightening the attachment of the kickstand back to the bicycle. To keep that bicycle from falling over with a kickstand that's faulty, those first six weeks when you really have no ligament, those first six weeks when the bolts are loose of the kickstand, how do you keep the bicycle from tipping over? You don't have all day to stand there with your hand holding the handlebar and the seat. How else 
do you keep the bicycle from falling over? You lean it against the wall. You use an external source of stability. You lean the bicycle up against the wall. It won't fall down. That's what a brace is. A brace is an external support temporarily until those bolts tighten. So instead of leaning the bicycle against the wall, you bring the wall, which is a brace, to the unstable knee joint and let it heal for those six weeks. So that's the principle with Clapper vision of why Andrew Whitworth is going to be able to play without surgery in the treatment of a torn ligament in his knee. The number is 877-710-ESPN. Coming up next, I want to tell you about another story of an article I read this week from the Hospital for Special Surgery about Little League pitchers. Fascinating about their elbow injuries in a Little League thrower, a Little League pitcher in baseball. And I also need to tell you where the best baguette clapperized with cream cheese and jelly is. You'll hear all that. The number is 877-710-ESPN. You're listening to the one and only Weekend Warriors show here on 710 ESPN. You're listening to the Weekend Warrior show presented by Cedar sinai What's going on, L.A.? This is Kobe Bryant. Oh, my God. That's amazing. Start your weekend off right. Listening to the Weekend Warrior show with Dr. Clapper. Google the Guggenheim. Every Saturday morning from 7 to 9 a.m. on ESPN. 710, home of your Los Angeles Lakers. On a clear day, rise and look around you, and you'll see who you are. Welcome back, Weekend Warriors. That's the great Sarah Vaughn. Today, we're talking about seeing clearly, because we're talking about visionaries in art and sports and surgery, and one of the great visionaries in sports seeing the future, making it happen, psychologically coaching up his players, dedicating today's show to the great Tommy Lasorda, who I got to meet during my fellowship with Dr. Frank Joe. And what a beautiful person Tommy Lasorda was. I'm a total stranger. He made me feel like family in just a few minutes. I got to shake his hand. Beautiful. We're going to miss him. But we can learn a lot from his life, how he used humor to get the very tough job done. Changing Oral Hershiser's name to Bulldog. We'll have to play that soundbite, Steve Paulette, of Tommy Lasorda saying, I didn't like his name. I thought he pitched like a scared dog. And I told him from now on, We're going to call you Bulldog, and you're going to pitch like a Bulldog, and you're going to act like a Bulldog. And Oral Hershiser has a World Series ring from 1988 because of Tommy Lasorda. The beautiful legacy with a beautiful life. Fantastic. Speaking of baseball, there was an article I read this week, just came out from the Hospital for Special Surgery, looking at Little League baseball fields, playing baseball where the pitcher is on a flat surface versus the major leagues or college or high school for that matter, 
where there's a mound, the pitcher's mound, which elevates the height of the pitcher, which gives the pitcher that much more of a mechanical advantage, because essentially he's throwing, he or she is throwing downward from the pitcher's mound at the batter. Well, we as orthopedic surgeons see a ton of elbow and shoulder injuries in pitchers. You throw a ball 100 miles an hour, trust me, your shoulder and your elbow is not built to do that. That's why one out of every four baseball pitchers in the major leagues has had Dr. Job's Tommy John surgery. So it doesn't make a difference to the elbow, to the shoulder, when you put sensors on the pitcher's arm. Does it increase the torque? Does it increase the damage if you're on a pitching mound versus on a flat surface? This paper out of special surgery looked at that, and their conclusion is no. There's no difference in the forces on the elbow or the shoulder, whether you're on a mound or you're on a flat surface. So the secret to keep those little leaguers from hurting their elbow, because there's an epidemic, truly, in our world right now, of little league pitchers needing Tommy John surgery and they're in junior high school. It used to be just for people like Tommy John to save the career at the end of a professional career. Now you're doing Tommy John surgery on high school, junior high school, and college pitchers. It's crazy. So the secret has to be what Dr. Andrews has talked about and Dr. Elitrosh has talked about. Pitch count. You need the Tommy Lasorda of that team to say that's enough. No more pitches. You've exceeded your count because the elbow cannot handle it. It's as simple as that. Counting the number of pitches and then taking that pitcher out is how you save an elbow. The surfing has been massive this week. And I had Monday and Wednesday off this week to go surfing. It was so big on Wednesday that I went to my usual spot and I can look at, talk about being a visionary. I looked at the ocean, I said, okay, I don't think today is the day I wanna die, but I need to get in the water. I just can't get into that water because as soon as I paddle out, I'm gonna be underneath the pier. So I put my surfboard back in the truck. Actually, I never took it out of the truck. It was still in the truck. And I drove up the coast to a spot that I know about that reminds me of Waikiki. The waves are gigantic. They're as big as an apartment building, but they don't barrel. They don't form a tube like pipeline. And the current is more manageable. The waves here are big, but they ruffle at the top. And it's a very gentle push as they come to shore. It's still intimidating to see the size of them because the waves have been big this, big this week, 10 feet. But when I got to this spot, I walked down the rocks from the road holding my board and I got to the beach. It took me like 10 minutes to just get down the rocks without falling. And I was so excited. I then paddled out into these massive waves. 
crash on top of my head, crash on top of my head. And I just kept paddling. And then I took a moment to look at the shoreline. And I realized the riptide had taken me about a quarter mile down the beach. And I said, all right, I'm not going to fight the riptide, but I think I'll get back to where I started from. So I let it take me. I kept paddling and I made it through the breakwater. It was way out. And then I could circle back. I didn't have to fight the current. And I waited. And I was just so proud of myself that I made it out. And then the sets came. Just, I looked at the horizon and it was as though a three-story apartment building was now rising out of the ocean. And I turned my board and I started to paddle with this massive amount of water coming right to me. I paddled and paddled and all of a sudden I could feel the hand of God go you can stop paddling now, Robbie. And I stood up and I went zooming down the face of that wave. The wind blasting the water into my face. It was like being on a Kawasaki motorcycle zooming down that wave. It was awesome. That gives me the energy, the yin and the yang of my life so that I can do all the things I want to do mentally and physically with the rest of the week. Surfing, it's not only a sport for me, it's a religion. Coming up next, I'm going to tell some stories about visionaries. Visionaries and dealing with obstacles. Because if you've got a vision, there's going to be a roadblock. In sports, in art, in surgery. And at 8.15, I can't wait to talk to my guest, the great Ben Lyons. You're listening to the one and only Weekend Warriors show here on 710 ESPN. Check out the Weekend Warrior Facebook Know Your, your Knee Post. One of the most complicated areas of the body. ACL, PCL, MCL, patella supplication. Really? Dr. Clapper translates the language of your knee on the Weekend Warrior Facebook page. Whoa. Simply type in Weekend Warrior in the search bar and click on Doc's picture. Wow! Your knee feels better already. Damn right. Like, follow, and feel better Hello there. with the Weekend Warrior Facebook page. 